Hi, welcome to the Spring Chiro podcast. I'm Lisa. So far, I've talked quite a lot about your bones and bone health. And today I'd like to take a closer look at the things that attach to your bones and which are responsible for making them move. In other words, your muscles. Today, you'll also find out why your back might get very achy if you've been standing for a while or walking, usually slowly around the shops, for example. So together, your bones, joints and muscles make up what we call your musculoskeletal system. And some of you may have had a referral letter on the NHS talking about the MSK team. MSK stands for musculoskeletal. And there are three main different types of muscle in, in your body. There's the skeletal muscle, which is the type I'll be talking about today. These are the muscles that move bones. But there's also cardiac muscle. Your heart is basically a muscle. Its job is to move blood. And the third type of muscle in your body is called smooth muscle. And this is found throughout your body, for example, in your gut. There are smooth muscle cells there, which are what help to move food through your digestive system. You've also got smooth muscle around blood vessels, which is what helps them to dilate or constrict. But today, as I said, I'm focusing on skeletal muscle. And you have around 650 skeletal muscles in your body, quite a lot. Some are big, some are small, some are visible from the outside because they're just under the skin. Some are deeper inside and they're not so obvious. But up close, they all look a bit stripy because a skeletal muscle is basically a load of muscle fibres, like long stringy bits all held together in a bundle. Think of gathering a bunch of cooked spaghetti together. And the middle portion of the muscle is called the muscle belly. That's the biggest part, the widest part. And at each end of the muscle, it turns into a tendon, which is what attaches the muscle and the bone to each other. So the muscle attaches to one bone via a tendon, then usually goes across a joint and attaches to a different bone at its other end, again via a tendon. And the muscle causes movement between those two bones at that joint by contracting. Because muscles, well, you can think of them a little bit like elastic bands because they can change their length and their tension. Although actually it's kind of the opposite way around to elastic bands in terms of tension because most commonly when they contract, muscles shorten their length and when they relax they become longer and looser usually and in order for the muscle to contract you, you already know the first stage of a muscle contraction because the first stage is the instruction telling it to happen and that comes from the brain down the spinal cord and out at the relevant nerve at the particular level of the spine um, which i talked about in episode two but when the nerve signal arrives at the muscle, it causes a chemical reaction within the muscle fibres. And this chemical reaction causes the muscle fibres to actually rearrange themselves. And they overlap and slide over each other so that the overall length of the muscle becomes shorter. It's not unlike a telescope type of motion. Think of the you know, layers folding into each other sort of thing. And because each end of the muscle is attached to a different bone, the result is movement at the joint between those bones. So, for example, the muscles which form the bulk at the back of your thigh attached to the bottom of your pelvis. Think of the bony bit that you actually sit on. And at their other end, these muscles, they are the hamstring muscles, they attach to your lower leg bone, your shin bone, just below your knee at the back. And think about that muscle becoming shorter or contracting it will exert a force that pulls your lower leg towards the back of your thigh. In other words, it bends your leg at the knee. And this is what every skeletal muscle in your body does. It exerts a force that pulls two bones so that they move relative to each other when the muscle contracts. Some are on a larger scale than others, for example. 
Although, as ever, there are exceptions and some trivia for you. Firstly, you do have one bone that is in isolation and is not directly linked by muscles or joints to any other bone, and that's the hyoid bone. It's a small horseshoe-shaped bone at the front of your neck, just under your chin. It does have lots of muscle attachments, but contractions of them don't move a joint. Instead, they are responsible for swallowing and movements of your tongue and use of your larynx or voice box. You've also got the joints at the back of your pelvis, which do move, but they don't have specific muscles crossing them to move them, so we can't voluntarily make them move independently. But on the whole, muscles in your body attach to different bones across joints. And in order to contract, muscles need fuel, usually glucose, one of the simplest forms of sugar, and oxygen, so that they can produce the energy they need to work or to contract. That there are also various minerals, calcium, sodium, and potassium that are necessary. But our bodies in particular like to make sure that our muscles always have glucose and oxygen available so that they can be called on to contract if they're needed. Remember, our bodies evolved when we might be called on for fight or flight at any minute for our survival. So for that reason, your muscles have their own store of glucose in them in the form of glycogen. And they also have something called myoglobin, which stores oxygen. Sounds a bit like hemoglobin, doesn't it? Hemoglobin carries oxygen in your bloodstream because heme means blood and myo means muscle. So myoglobin is a protein that stores oxygen in muscle. And you've heard of aerobic exercise. That basically means using oxygen to produce the energy needed. But even if a muscle runs out of its oxygen stores, it can still carry on contracting. This is called anaerobic exercise or without oxygen. Again, your life might have depended on, upon this way back when, uh, but this form of energy production is less efficient and builds up waste products that then need to be taken away again. So aerobic exercise is very much the first choice for your body. But say you want to increase the size of your muscles. Well, guess what? Use it or lose it. The more you use any muscle, the more your body responds to the demands placed on it and will build more muscle. Now, you're starting to see the pattern here because it's just as we've seen already with our bone density and even our skin pigment. And this for me is really just one of the, the one real marvels of our bodies. Anytime you put your body under a particular demand physically, it will respond accordingly. Your body's constantly changing and you are constantly training your body depending on what you do with it. If you do something enough or have a certain requirement enough, then your body will devote more resources to it. If you don't, then your body diverts the resources elsewhere. So we are all doing body conditioning and training all the time. It might just be that we're training our body to be really good at sitting on the sofa. But if you perhaps do some aerobic type of exercise to work your muscles, including your heart muscle, this of course, your body responds. And one way it does this is by increasing the levels of myoglobin in your muscles. So making them work more efficiently, they've got more oxygen available, it also increases the glycogen stores, the stores of glucose, and also the numbers of mitochondria. These are the tiny parts in your cells that we call the powerhouses or the power stations because that's where your energy is produced. By the way, sometimes professional athletes might train at altitude before big competitions. You might have heard of this before. And it's to encourage the body to adapt to the altitude because up at altitude, the air is thinner. It has a lower pressure. So it's harder work for your body to get enough oxygen in and to, to where it's needed. But if you're staying at altitude for any length of time, your body rises to the challenge as ever. 
So not only does it produce more red blood cells to carry the oxygen around your body more efficiently, but it also increases the amount of that myoglobin in your muscles. So you can do more aerobic exercise before the oxygen in the muscles is depleted. So you might want to also exercise because you want to build more muscle bulk. So this is called strength training. You might use weights to increase the loading on the muscles. And strength training is not just for bodybuilders and for those who want to show off very visible muscles. It's actually very important for everyone and for the elderly in particular, for especially in the legs, to improve the strength in their legs, to improve their balance and coordination and reduce the risk of those falls that can be so dangerous. But to build muscle or increase our muscle size, it actually means damaging them first. We call it microtrauma. So when the muscle fibers have a great deal of demand placed on them during a workout, whether it's from a high enough intensity or by increasing weights, it can cause some tearing of those fibers. And this damage then creates a very localized inflammatory response. And the body has to respond to repair that damage, usually by fusing muscle fibers together to make them stronger and more resistant to future damage. And more cells are also activated to come in and add to the muscle. All of this makes the muscles bigger and therefore usually stronger. But it's only after the workout that all of this happens. So this is why rest period between working any particular muscle group is very important because it's during the rest period that the muscle actually gets bigger, therefore stronger. This is why you can feel sore after a workout, not usually during it necessarily. It's the inflammation from the microtrauma that you feel a day or two later. You, you can feel muscle soreness during a workout, of course, but that usually relates to a buildup of the waste products in your muscles from anaerobic exercise in particular. So the strength of a muscle doesn't just depend on its size. It can also depend on how efficient that muscle is and actually how responsive it is to the nerve instructions that it receives. Sometimes a muscle might even appear larger, but it's not necessarily stronger. There can be an apparent increase in size from a type of stress within the muscle that effectively causes it to swell and look bigger. You might have heard people talk about their muscles being pumped, usually right after a heavy workout. And the muscles can really appear enlarged at this time because it's the accumulation of blood and a buildup of lactic acid, one of the waste products of anaerobic exercise, that makes it a very temporary appearance. And of course, there's a genetic link to how easily some people can build muscle compared to others. There's also a difference between the sexes, mostly related to the different effects of hormones. So even if everyone in the world did exactly the same bodybuilding workout, I'm afraid not everyone would end up looking like Arnie. Of course, good nutrition is also very important for helping to build or support muscle. Your body needs all of the starting materials to build more muscle, as well as certain minerals that are needed for the muscles to actually contract effectively. And when it comes to skeletal muscles, of particular relevance to us as chiropractors and to our patients are the spinal muscles. Now, there are a lot of these. I'm not going to go through them one by one because, quite frankly, you would be bored silly. <laughs> I spoke previously about the tiny spinal muscles around the facet or spinal joints that act almost as sense organs to tell your brain what's going on. But for today, I'm just going to roughly divide the spinal muscles into two groups. One group we'll call the superficial spinal muscles. These are the ones that you can see. They're the ones just under the surface of your skin. They're usually the ones that bodybuilders try to work to make even more prominent and visible. And the other group of muscles are the deep spinal muscles. You can't see these from the outside. They are so deep, right in next to the, the vertebral bodies of your spine. 
And the two groups have very different roles to play. So they have a very different structure as a result. Because muscles can also be what are called slow-twitch muscle fibres or fast-twitch muscle fibres. Twitch refers to the contraction that they make. And the deep muscles in your back are predominantly slow-twitch muscles because their job is to hold you upright against gravity. So to stand all day long, potentially, and maintain your posture. Their contraction is long and slow. They have a lot of stamina. They can keep going for a long time. But the superficial back muscles, the ones you can see visible under the skin, tend to be fast twitch muscles. So these are designed to do a quick, sudden, sharp muscle contraction when you want to move, whether you're bending or twisting, for example. These are designed to contract quickly to do the movement, then relax. So they don't have as much stamina. So when you work on the spinal muscles to make them bigger and more visually obvious, you tend to be working on the fast twitch muscles, the superficial muscles. Weights machines at the gym often show a diagram of the muscle they're targeting. And again, they're often the ones you can see from the outside. And this is fine, but it's really important to work the deep muscles as well, because not only do the muscles all have to work together for best effects, they have their specific roles, but there are problems that can come very easily if you happen to damage your back or have a back injury of any kind, even not necessarily a major one, perhaps just straining a muscle by lifting something too heavy or too quickly, but if you've had any kind of injury to the spine, those deep postural muscles can unfortunately get switched off very easily. Or if you're immobilized by pain or laid up in bed or just not getting upright as much as you should, these muscles can atrophy very easily. Muscle atrophy is basically the opposite of what I've been talking about. This is when the muscle shrinks in size and therefore strength. Just like I spoke about bone density reducing, the density of muscle fibers can also reduce. If something's not being used properly, your body diverts resources from there to where they are more necessary. Think of the city council trying to prioritise its budget to areas of greatest need. And frighteningly, those deep core muscles, those postural muscles start to atrophy within three days if they're not being used properly. By the way, this is also why we don't normally recommend prolonged wearing of the low back support belts, the big kind of corset thing that wraps around your lower back and your tummy. Because if that's always there or there continuously for more than three days, the body says, oh, okay, don't need those core muscles anymore as I always seem to have something supporting me on the outside. And so those muscles switch off and start to atrophy. And if the deep back muscles are switched off or weakened, then the superficial ones have to help out because something has to keep you upright against gravity. But those muscles are not built for this job. They're fast twitch, remember? They are not great on the stamina front. So they start to fatigue very easily. And you can tell if this has happened when your back gets very achy, especially if you've been standing around for a while. Or people often feel it who are walking slowly, like window shopping, as opposed to a purposeful stride type of thing. And it's because the superficial muscles are trying to do a job they're just not built for. So to correct it, you want to work on the deep back muscles. Now their structure is such that they connect closely to the deep lower abdominal muscles and form like a corset of muscle around your whole abdomen and lower back. So these two groups of muscle together are the core muscle groups that you've heard about. And working the lower abdominal muscles correctly will also work your deep back muscles. So your mind may have gone straight away to sit-ups. Surely that's the best way to work your abs. Well, there are actually lots of ways to work your abs. Certainly in anyone who's had a back injury recently, or in fact who has back problems, I normally wouldn't recommend starting with sit-ups. I tell them to start with curl downs. It's almost like a sit-up in reverse. So you start sitting up with your knees bent, 
and you slowly lower yourself down as far as you can. If you feel like you haven't got the strength to go all the way down into a lying position or you can't keep control and feel like you're just going to collapse, then you go straight back up. Because you're going from an upright position against gravity into the resting position, it's much kinder to your spine to start with than the other way around. And it just starts to wake up those muscles again. For a longer term program, and the best way to retrain your core and get your deep muscles doing their job properly again, ask us for an exercise sheet next time you're in. We have sheets on something called co-contraction, which is all about strengthening those deep spinal muscles. But what I also recommend to my patients is Pilates, a really powerful way of working that core muscle group. And nowadays you can do it easily online with videos and so on. But I always recommend starting with a good teacher in a face-to-face class or even a one-to-one because you can cause more damage if you're not doing it correctly. And you need an instructor who can come around to each person individually and check you and assess, make sure you're doing it correctly and give specific instructions and adjust how you're doing it perhaps for best results. So for that reason also, you don't want a class, some of the gyms have classes where there's like 30, 40 people all doing it. That's not that's not going to work. So I normally say look for a class that doesn't have more than about 12 people in it so that your instructor can really check you properly. So I will come back to specific joints and muscles and conditions that affect them in future episodes, but that's the basics of muscles that you need to understand. I hope you're starting to appreciate how amazing our bodies are. My goal is for you to understand your body more so that you can marvel at it because we're so critical of ourselves, especially our superficial appearances. And I think we take our bodies so much for granted in terms of what they do, especially on the inside. In the meantime, I am wishing you all health and happiness. Take care.